Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Uh, Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Lord, thank you that you've brought us here, that we can hear from you. God, hear from your word, hear from your Holy Spirit. God, speak to our heart, our mind, our imagination. Father, we give you this time. Uh, Equip us, train us, give us your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, if you've been joining us those last few weeks, or if this is your first Sunday, we've been doing a little series walking through the book of Galatians. And uh, we're kind of in our fourth week, so we're a little bit most of the way through the book. And uh, today we're going to focus on uh, Galatians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Galatians chapter 5. But uh, let me kind of put where we're going to start a little bit in context. Paul had, uh, on his first missionary journey, he had a radical encounter. He was persecuting the church. Uh, He was a uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained by one of the most notable Pharisees uh, in the land at the time. Uh, Paul was a persecutor of the church, but then he has this radical encounter with Jesus. While he was going to another town to persecute more Christians, Jesus shows up and he has a radical uh, encounter with God. And uh, he goes away, he gets trained, but then he kind of gets sent out one day with a guy named Barnabas, and they start planting churches. They start planting churches kind of all over the Roman world. And uh, on, one, on his first trip, he travels to southern Turkey, and uh, Paul there plants four churches in the, in the region at the time was Galatia. And so this letter is written to these four churches. Now, Paul had a little problem. Uh, there was a group of Jewish believers who were kind of following Paul around wherever he went as he preached the gospel of Jesus. A group of Jewish followers named Judaizers were following Paul around. And after Paul would leave to go to another town to plant another church, these Judaizers would come right behind Paul and begin to uh, tell the new believers that not only do they need to follow Jesus and trust in him, but they also need to follow the Jewish law. They needed to be circumcised. They needed to observe Sabbath. They, they needed to become Jewish. That was these Judaizers' perspective. They needed to follow the 613 laws. Uh, now that they're followers of Jesus, of course, he was the perfect Jew. Wouldn't it make sense that God would make us more perfect Jews? And so that was the, the, some of the rationale. And so Paul sends this letter back to Galatia to kind of clear their head, to uh, untie the knots that these Judaizers had, had, uh, had, had done to these Jew, uh, Gentile, uh, usually Gentile, not Jewish, Gentile uh, Galatians. So anyway, there's this big kind of battle. Paul's trying to clear the air. And uh, in, for the first uh, few chapters, Paul is trying to create an argument. Uh, with in his letter, meaning that uh, there's this liberty to be found in Christ. There's this freedom that Christ offers. And uh, if you were uh, Gentile, you probably came out of the pagan world. And out of the pagan world, it was uh, there is no law. It is basically the law of the land, law of nature, 
uh, what, and, and there's a lot of behavior that kind of flows from that. And Paul is saying, man, you came out of that, you came out of that bondage, and Jesus set you free, but now they're not just getting set free from wild living, but they're getting wooed into another enslavement, and that's legalism. You could kind of put it on a, on a, a scale kind of like this, where Paul is trying to say, man, stay in the center. Man, you came out of licentiousness or, or just wild living, all right, Jesus brought you into liberty, but don't get wooed into a form of legalism, which is another form of slavery, okay? So that's kind of where we're at so far. And so Paul, he would say, really, there's three ways to live, under the law, without law, or with the author of the law. To illustrate that, let's take, if you're a dog fan, I'm a dog fan, I'm not a cat fan, sorry for you cat lovers, but if you were to illustrate it, there's three kind of different uh, types. One dog lives on a leash. Wherever it goes, it must be on that leash. As he goes out, he pulls against the leash. He resists it. He doesn't like it. I myself have a little uh, beagle dog, super stubborn. Whenever he's on the leash, he, it's always taut. You know, he always wants to get out, squirrel, anything. He, that leash kind of like uh, accentuates his need to pull on it. Uh, but yeah, you have to jerk him back, get him back on the path. Well, that's the picture of a person under the law. Okay, take another dog type. The second dog lives without a leash. He wanders about freely in the neighborhood without a master, without guidance, getting into trash, getting into fights, and ending up uh, either in the pound or run over by a car. That's the picture of a lawless person living by natural instinct. But then the ideal dog is the third one. He comes out of the house with his master and without a leash. He goes about freely but returns at his master's command. He's bound by love to his master. That is the person who walks by the Spirit. He or she obeys out of love. They intently listen to the voice of their master and eagerly desire to please their master. That's the person and that's the position of the believer in Jesus Christ, walking in the Spirit. Okay, so that's what Paul's trying to communicate. Man, God rescued you out of wild living so that you could sit and have this relationship with this master that you would hear his voice, that you would respond to it. But you, my Gentile uh, Galatians, you're getting set free from wild living and you're voluntarily taking on the leash. Does that make sense? That's not the kind of life God made you for. The kind of life God made you for is the one next to his master, without a leash, living in relationship. Yet for Paul, these Galatians were turning their back against walking in the Spirit. And so Paul says to these believers in Galatians 5.1, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Before plunging into this third section of his letter, Paul interjects a verse that is at once a summary of all that has gone before in this letter and a transition to what follows. Actually, this key, you could argue that this, this verse right here is the key to the entire epistle, the entire letter. So in short, the normal Christian life 
is a life of liberty, lived through the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit and for the glory and honor of God. So what kind of freedom is this? It's for freedom that Christ set you free. So what is this freedom? Well, it's freedom from the burden of sin, freedom from relentless guilt, freedom from an accusing conscience, freedom from the tyranny of our transgressions, free, freedom from the terrible pressure and frustration of trying to be something other than who you are. Freedom from sin's dominance. The Greek word for freedom is eleutheria, and it was a technical phrase used in legal documents when one was bought out of the slave market and set free. And that's what Jesus has done for both Jew and Gentile alike, bought you out of slavery and into this life of liberty. So Christ sets us free so we can experience and walk in the benefits of his salvation, living out our freedom in Christ without guilt or condemnation. This freedom transforms us. But this genuine spiritual freedom in Christ is not the ability to do what we please. Sometimes in, in, in our context, when we cry freedom, it's this selfish cry to say, I just want to do what I want. I just do what I want. You know? And that's that rebellious, independent heart cry. And that's not the sense of freedom that Christ brings. It's a sense of freedom so that you don't be, that he rescues you out of the bondage upon which you used to live and sets you free into a relationship with God that you were made to live. But he says, he sets you free, so stay free. Stay free, remain free. Man, with this glorious freedom offered under God's new covenant, why would anyone... Why would anyone prefer the old? Why would anyone prefer the old? Actually, the law is a system. Now, some people are prone to laws. Some people love that kind of like, man, I'm free. But man, there's, there's some people that really love the structure, that really love the order. They like things clear. But for those people, the law is a system that caters to human pride by promising to reward the hardest working, the most competitive, or the most perfect, right? If you're the most perfect, you're going to get the most rewarded. Hard and fast rules are those who live by the law. There's concrete formulas. There's clear, measurable goals for which a person can strive. But the actual reward of living under the law is bondage, is bondage, a pervading sense of obligation, uh, a, uh, there's a sense of, there's this foreboding sense of fear and guilt that's always there. And in the fine print, there's a guarantee of ultimate failure. No wonder Paul says, Christ really has set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied back into a form of slavery, even though it may be a different kind. And so Paul goes on and says uh, in verse 2 to 11, like, man, listen. Galatians, if you get circumcised, hold up. You're wanting to get circumcised. These, these Judaizers have convinced you that you've got to be circumcised in order to, to walk fully before the Lord. And Paul gives them a warning to any person who would seek law-keeping in order to maintain or gain righteousness. Paul says, man, Christ will be of no benefit to you if you go ahead and do that. 
He says, uh, if, you, you obligate, if you obligate yourself to, obligate, or to circumcision, you obligate yourself to the entire law. If you bound yourself under that one, you need to bind yourself under the other 612. And if you've done that, Paul says, you've been severed from Christ. And you've fallen from grace because you're relying on your own effort to make yourself right before God. In Galatians 5, 7, he pivots and he says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He knows the answer to this question. It's these Judaizers. These dang Judaizers that have been following me that's confusing you. Man, this is so frustrating. And uh, he's like, man, it's like a little leaven. Ever make bread? Man, back in the day, I remember when the bread maker first came out. When they first released a bread maker, and man, it was, man, everybody was getting fat. Everybody, man, everybody was making bread. And it's like, man, mo most people hadn't made bread before. But it's like, man, this, this massive loaf and this, this little packet of yeast, and you put that in the, in the dough, and it works throughout the entire loaf and makes the whole loaf raise. Well, well, Paul's like, dude, these Judaizers are like yeast that are working through the entire body, corrupting you. And then he says this in Galatians 5.12, I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Cut the whole thing off, in other words. If the Judaizers who advocated obeying the law were so enamored with circumcision, they should just go all the way and cut the whole thing off and make eunuchs of themselves. He's, he's probably referring, there is a cult, there is a religious cult called uh, Cybella or Kybella. Uh, this cult was a popular pagan nature goddess in Asia Minor, right in this area where Paul's dealing with. And uh, there were many devout worshipers to this cult. Uh, and in that cult, they castrated themselves. And all its priests were self-made eunuchs. And so his point was, if the Judaizers are so insistent on circumcision as a means of pleasing God, why don't they just go all the way and castrate themselves as the supreme act of religious devotion? If, like the pagans, they believe in human achievement can earn divine favor... Why don't they go to the pagan extremes of self-mutilation like the Celebine priest? Man, he's saying, he's saying circumcision adds nothing to your salvation. And in fact, it emasculates the power of the gospel. It's taking something away. It's making your salvation reliant on you and not what Christ has done on the cross. And so he goes on, verse 13, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by one another. Meaning that last, a little, a little, uh, sow a little bit of jealousy and division and dissension in a group. And if you allow that to go, it'll devour one another. But he says, man, you've been called to live in freedom. But don't use that freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Man, Paul is seeking to convince the followers there that the law has no power to, to restrain sinful flesh. In fact, the more one attempts to follow the law, the more that sinful nature rears its ugly head. 
the more the leash is on you, the more you want to pull on that leash. But freedom in Christ doesn't give us the right to do what we please, nor does it, uh, nor does it seek to replace one form of bondage with another in rule following. But freedom in Christ enables you to do what pleases God. God wants to enable you with His grace, with the power of the Holy Spirit, to be who He's called you to be. Oh man, that's so exciting. Apparently the believers in Galatia were failing miserably at serving and loving one another. Paul does not state why they were in such a mess, but the context clearly communicates that they weren't depending on the power of the Holy Spirit to relate to one another. And so he says this in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Man, such an important verse in the Bible here. A life oriented around the Spirit of God. Walking by the Spirit. What does that mean? It means is that if I'm a follower of Jesus, that when I wake up in the morning, I'm turning my heart and attention and affection and focus to the one that I'm serving. And as I go about my day, I'm walking in step with the Holy Spirit. I don't just compartmentalize a little morning time with Him and I'm good with the Lord and I can just kind of walk about my day in my own strength. It's walking, man, you're going to work, you're on your way to work. Man, you're praising, you're worshiping. God, I need filled up in order to be the man or woman you've called me to be at this office or at home with my own children. God, I need your strength. I want to walk in the power of your spirit. But as our heart cries out for that, God's strength meets that heart cry and enables you, gives you supernatural strength, supernatural faith to be the person God's called you to be. Come on. So he goes on. Verse 17, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There's this whole new way of life, that if you're walking in step with the Spirit, there is no need for a law. Because you're already following the law of love. And it's, it's so powerful. This, liber, this uh, liberty of love, this God setting you free in order to love God freely and love people freely. Man, that's a suit that requires a supernatural work in our heart. But Paul goes on and he just starts calling out what's pretty obvious. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, okay, sexual immorality, kind of going outside the bounds of what God said is moral. There's impurity, there's sensuality, turning things to make them sexual. So you can see that a lot in our culture, everything's sexualized, even to kind of grade school kids, it's getting sexualized, that's sensuality. How about idolatry? It's looking to something in order to be your savior. So for some, in our context, it's money. Man, if I have money, it will be my savior. I will get the life that I've dreamed of. How about sorcery? Okay, Paul, this is, uh, this is an interesting word. The word is called pharmakia. It's from 
which the English word pharmacy comes from. Originally referred to medicines in general, but eventually only to mood-altering and mind-altering drugs, as well as the occult, witchcraft, and magic. Many pagan religious practices required the use of drugs to aid in the communication with their deities, a.k.a. demons. They needed these drugs to communicate in the spiritual realm. Paul says, man, that's not one who follows Christ. How about enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions? We see a lot of division today. Envy, green with envy, envying what somebody else has and justifying or justifying of why you need that. There's drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Woo! Man, powerful verse Paul gives us. Man, those who do these things, that word do uh, can be translated as practice. Those who practice these things. Uh, I don't know about you, I, I loved uh, high school uh, sports. Man, when you go out, you practice. What do you do when you practice? You're getting better. You're getting more skilled at it. And so when, when we, those who practice these things, these things of the flesh, usually we get just better at it. We, get, we hide it better. We can conceal it better. We, we get skilled in only letting it come out at certain times. Maybe when it's just by ourselves or maybe with friends that kind of know that side of us. But Paul says those who practice these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Man, that's the struggle Paul's talking about here. It's a struggle that we are all in, this battle of the flesh versus living life in the Spirit. Man, such actions as these are not characteristics of a follower of Jesus. So this isn't a list so that we can evaluate others as much as it is a list to evaluate ourselves. Amen? Sometimes we followers of Jesus can take this list and kind of automatically go out and say, man, now I'm armed. Now I can see who the real sinners are. All right. But actually, it's a list that needs to be applied to oneself first. And in that, it does miraculous things. The worst enemy we have is our own flesh. St. Augustine used, used to frequently pray this prayer. Lord, deliver me from that evil man, myself. Lord, deliver me from that evil man, myself. My own heart, my own mind that deceives, that justifies, that rationalizes. Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn alludes to our fallen flesh in this quote. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, but the dividing line of good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? We'd like to kind of put all the evil people on kind of an island, wouldn't that be great? Or some sort of like separate, and it's like, man, you guys could just kind of deal with yourself there. But the fact is, is that evil cuts through the middle of every human heart. But praise be to God, 
for the freedom he gives us in Christ. The flesh and the spirit are locked in this mortal struggle struggle all around. There are temptations and dangers, but the struggle is not a stalemate. Now check this. It's not pitted against two equal opposing forces. The spirit is much stronger than the flesh. And as we follow him, he will lead us through and give us victory. And in walking in the fruit of the Spirit that he gets to. These are supernatural fruits of the Spirit. Now, you may have heard this list before. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, blah, 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 blah. Did you ever, if you've grown up in church, this kind of list is very common. But I want us to maybe, maybe look at this list and kind of with different, maybe elevated lenses. Okay? So... Paul goes on, he's like, man, this is the life of the flesh, that's what this looks like, but man, the fruit of the Spirit is supernatural love, supernatural joy, supernatural peace, supernatural patience that God will give you, supernatural kindness about your life that you couldn't produce in your own effort, a supernatural goodness supernatural faithfulness about your life, a gentleness that only can come from Him, a self-control that the Holy Spirit enables you to live in and walk in supernaturally. Sometimes we look at these qualities and we can kind of walk in in our own natural state and say, yeah, I got a little bit of love, I got a little bit of joy. Hey, I'm kind of a, I'm a pretty good Christian. No, the call of God is for you to walk in the power of the Spirit. And that is you, God calling you up to live in a, with a supernatural level of love, a supernatural level of joy. That, man, chaos and stuff can be going all around. Things can be kind of crumbling down. But your heart is crying out, man, I trust God. I think that he's a good father and I can live in joy. These are supernatural gifts that God wants you to walk in. God and God's enabling spirit empowers us with these supernatural resources for us to walk in and glorify him in. The question is, are you allowing those resources of God to grow and be nourished in your life? Or are you just operating with natural love, natural joy, natural peace? There's this charge by Paul, stop living in the flesh. Live with the spirit that Jesus is giving. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Man, another powerful verse that Paul speaks. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Charles Spurgeon, famous pastor, preacher, author, wrote this. That crucified flesh, I've condemned it to die. I nailed it up to the cross, and I kept it in a dying, mortifying posture. A crucified Christ is the leader of a crucified people. Whew. Amen? So the question is, has your flesh been crucified? If you're a follower of Jesus, has that flesh been crucified? Now, there may be some where you're like, man, uh, in light of this, no. In light of this, no. 
man, if that's you, then man, today's the day to lay that life of the flesh down and take on this life of the Spirit that Jesus came to give you. And there may be some where you're like, man, it was once, (laughs) it was crucified once, I know that. I remember kind of the time or the season, yeah, when I was, yep, that, that was crucified, yeah, but then what happened? What happened? Paul's like, what happened? The Spirit is like, man, what happened? Don't fall back into that old life that Jesus has delivered you out of. Don't turn back to Egypt. Don't cry out for Egypt in the wilderness. Trust me, he's leading you into a promised land that he's made you for, not to turn you back into the slavery in which he delivered you. So, if it was like, man, it was once, but man, I've kind of drifted. I kind of succumbed to a little drift fatigue in my following of Christ. Well, how about this? Stop justifying your sexual impurity. Stop. Stop justifying it. Stop living for money and comfort. Stop. Whatever that in that kind of list that Paul kind of called out, there may have been one that kind of like jumped up like, oh, yeah, guilty. Well, if that's in there, then do some business with God to say, God, I repent. I repent of taking that on, of falling into agreement with that lie. And God, with your power and authority, I come out from under that lie. And I hear now walk in the power of your truth. Living by the Spirit. Stop enslaving yourself from being the man or woman of God he's made you to be. Verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Man, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Man, He's our leader, and we're following Him in His footsteps. Well, that implies, uh, that implies steps. That implies you walking with Him. That implies you growing with Him. And as you do that, the Spirit leads us through this life. He knows the way to go far better than we do. He's omniscient. He knows the world. He knows time. He knows what's coming. He knows what's past. He knows the future and what's gone before. He knows everything. And as we walk through this spiritual battlefield with all the pitfalls and minefields, guess what? He knows where all those mines are. He knows where those pitfalls are. He knows, where, he knows what's going on. He sees what's going on. He knows the way. And so we're to follow him as we trust him. And he'll lead us in freedom from bondage. Freedom from bondage to wild living and freedom from bondage of rule and law keeping. Walking in step with the liberty spirit of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you God for your word. Thank you for Paul's wrestling with these believers in Galatia. Lord God, it seems that the fight over the human heart doesn't get too far from the same battle over our human hearts. God, our allegiance, our affection. God, the purpose and our meaning in which we live. Lord God, I pray that, Lord, these words of Paul would provoke us. That God, living a life of the flesh whether it be in wild living or life in the flesh and our own pride of following the rules and trying to be perfect. 
Lord God, those are all lives of the flesh that you condemn. God, you raise up a life of one that lives in the Spirit. And so, Lord, if we're here, God, maybe we've never given you our own allegiance. God, we haven't let you be the leader and forgiver of our life. And so, Lord, if there's those here, God, that we've never done that. We've never crucified the flesh, never given our whole life to you to say, God, I give you my whole life. Do with it as you please. God, if there's anyone here and you're like, man, that's me, then just just pray this kind of like heart cry prayer. God, I give you my whole life. God, I don't know why I'm just kind of finding myself in this moment now. God, there may have been moments in the past that I've ignored you. God, that I've heard your voice, but I've turned my back. And God, today, I'm done doing that. I'm done turning my back on you. I'm done playing games with you. God, I give you my whole life. And God, I give you my life and I crucify it there on the cross. Let me live in your resurrected life. And Father, for maybe other of us, God, we may have experienced that crucified life at one point, but God, we know we've drifted away from living that crucified life. Father, whatever it may be, God, I pray that right now we could just put it at the foot of your cross. God, an idol, a desire, an expectation, a dream, a wound. Lord, whatever it may be, God, we put it at the foot of your cross. God, heal that part in our heart. God, may we be people that live in the power of your spirit. God, power of your word. God, living lives of intense faith. God, seeing what you see. Lord, not over our culture, but God, seeing what you see over people. Lord, let us be lovers of people. Lord, let us not fall into the trap that Galatian church did of uh, God getting, getting sidetracked with other things. But God, let us keep in step with your spirit. Let us be radical lovers of people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.